welcome everyone back to another edition of New Books in Education on the New Books Network. I'm your host, Ryan Allen, and today I'm happy to present uh, a book that uh, I think uh, a lot of you might be interested in. Uh, This is Higher Education Beyond Job Creation, Universities, Citizenship, and Community. And this book is by Thomas Breyer, who is the director of the Center for Public and Nonprofit Management at the University of Central Florida and an associate professor in the university's School of Public Administration. And this book really looks at the university and uh, what it could be from a standpoint of uh, civic development and community engagement and really uh, kind of bases uh, the, the book in a very strong academic foundation, but as well as real world uh, classroom and uh, uh, experience that, that uh, Dr. Breyer's had uh, in the past and uh, brings in a lot of uh, real world organizations and, and initiatives and things like that. So uh, I'm happy to uh, have Dr. Breyer with us today. Uh, uh, welcome, Dr. Breyer. Thank you so much. And uh, if we can just begin, can you kind of tell us uh, a little bit about your background and kind of how you got into this kind of uh, academic area and focus? Uh, absolutely. Well, I have, uh, I've been at the University of Central Florida in the School of Public Administration for seven years now. Uh, and UCF uh, is, uh, is a unique institution. It's actually the second largest university in the United States by enrollment with about 64,000 students. Uh, which uh, which presents some unique challenges as well as some very unique opportunities for thinking about we can link uh, the university students and professors and staff into the community, and then we'll talk more about that. Uh, but as I said, I've been at the university for about seven years, joining the, the faculty in 2007. Uh, in 2000, uh, and uh, about three years ago, 2011, I... Uh, uh, became director of our Center for Public and Nonprofit uh, Management. And uh, uh, the center is uh, essentially the research arm and the community engagement arm of the School of Public Administration. It's our job to ensure that the work we do, the research of our students, of our faculty, the teaching of our research and faculty is ultimately impactful for uh, the community uh, around us in Central Florida and and beyond. Uh, and indeed, as a center, we've uh, just... Uh, launched some uh, significant international uh, initiatives, global initiatives. So we're, we're really seeing our impact uh, on a global level right now. Uh, and again, we'll talk more about what, what kind of impact that is, how we measure that impact in, in a little bit. Uh, but uh, I came to uh, UCF by way of University of Southern California in Los Angeles, and, and it was there that I really developed the the, the strong sense of uh, community uh, and the orientation to community that is so part of my identity as a professor right now. Uh, I see it as a, a fundamental mission for anybody in academia to uh, think uh, beyond the four walls of their classroom or, or the, uh, the limits of the course website to uh, how we can integrate with and, and uh, help transform the, the communities uh, around us. Uh, and that's uh, uh, an orientation that was developed uh, in my time as a doctoral student at Southern California and, and continues very much in my work at Central Florida. Yeah, and I think you can, um, you can uh, definitely read it in the book when, when you're uh, uh, 
uh, going through it and really feel that passion uh, for civic engagement and, and community. Uh, so you can really read it uh, within the book. So, uh, but, you know, getting into the book, uh, you know, wh- why, uh, why did you write this book? What was the impetus? And I think you kind of put it in, in sort of the first chapter. Uh, what's at stake? And so, so I'll ask you, what, what is at stake? Absolutely. It's, uh, uh, you know, higher education in the U.S. today, as around the world, uh, is is very much at, at a crossroads. Uh, there's a, a, a quite a bit of uh, political rhetoric and, and pressure from state uh, governments, from, from governors in, 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 in a variety of states, as well as from the White House and the Obama administration. Uh, the same pressures are being faced in other countries as well. I just returned uh, just uh, last week, actually, from uh, uh, a month uh, traveling around uh, Eastern Europe, spent some time in Lithuania uh, um, and Romania and some other places. And uh, professors there explain the same basic tension, which is a push on higher education to focus on STEM disciplines, your science, technology, engineering, and math disciplines. Uh, and to really apply market mechanisms to the management and, and uh, the measurement of success for higher education. And so what I hope this book is, is that in, at least at one level, a response to that rhetoric, uh, to present uh, an alternative view of what is possible with higher education, as the title suggests, beyond job creation, uh, that, it's, uh, that higher education has a purpose and a function uh, that can be so much more powerful if we uh, if we integrate across the different historical purposes and, and current demands of, of these institutions around the country, you know, around the world today, uh, and what's at stake is, is it failure to act, failure to, uh, to 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 think strategically about integrating across, creating jobs, being an economic engine, and, uh, cultivating citizens, uh, disseminating knowledge. Uh, developing skills of our, of our citizens uh, throughout our community. If we if we don't think strategically about how to do this, then uh, we will irrevocably change the, the look and character and, and feel of, of higher education institutions. Not only in the in the next few years, but for a generation or more to come. If we focus too much, too forcefully, too singularly on uh, the economic side of higher education, the job creation side of higher education. Right, right, and I think uh, some of those narratives that that are, are talked about in that chapter, as you mentioned, uh, sort of this this chasing the STEM fields and sort of the, the push for that, and maybe at the expense of uh, some humanities or liberal arts or other things. And we also get some a narrative that we see in in quite a bit of literature is talking about you know chasing like a world class university or what does that mean, and uh, you know kind of the the challenges that we're that we're facing today. Uh, and I, and I think leading right into, uh, the, the second chapter, maybe a challenge that isn't being addressed by universities today or, or potentially not in all universities, but some, uh, are the decline of, uh, uh civics and, uh, a sort of a weak community, a lack of interconnectedness. Uh, I think we use the term silos where, you know, there's different uh, departments that are very disconnected from each other. Uh, so maybe can you kind of explain uh, how you sort of uh, uh, phrase that in the book, uh, in Chapter 2? Uh, absolutely. And the, the title of the second chapter is, is maybe provocative, maybe not. It depends on who's reading it, I suppose. But uh, the title is Civic Decline 
lust for growth and weak communities. And, and that, in, in my in my sense, summarizes the state of our broader societal institutions in, in the United States in particular, uh, and, and it's uh, really beyond our national uh, boundaries as well. Uh, and so in the chapter, I talk about some some trends that should be concerning to all of us uh, within higher education and, and within and across other sectors of our society. Uh, one trend or set of trends is, is the social connectedness uh, of, uh, of our people. Uh, we have uh, great declines in social trust uh, within our citizenry. Uh, we see uh, low levels of uh, trust in, in neighbor uh, uh across the country. Uh, for instance, in my home of Florida, it's uh, approximately, I think, 11% of Floridians state that uh, they trust none of the people in their neighborhood. Uh, just think about that for a moment. 11% of Floridians say of the people living in the immediate area around them, they don't trust them. They don't trust them, they don't trust them to look after their home if they're away. They don't trust them to uh, to watch over their kids. They, they, there's just a complete lack of social trust. And so that's, that figure is 9% nationally. There are some variations regionally around the country. Uh, but this is uh, this is a big concern. If we look at uh, just a, a bit of a broader picture on that, asking Americans uh, uh, if they trust some of the people, maybe, maybe a handful, they're about, uh, I think, 35% who say they trust some of the people. Uh, so that leaves really uh, a relatively uh, small portion, about 50% of the population can trust most of the people and very few trust all of the people in their neighborhood. Uh, so we have a lot a lot of distrust, a lot of active distrust, not only across people, but between the people and, and our government as well. Uh, we can look at political intelligence, what I call political intelligence uh, in the chapter. Mm-hmm. Uh, social science surveys from Pew, uh, uh, Pew, the Pew Center have uh, found that, uh, particularly among college-aged youth, uh, they know more about the latest smartphone technology than they do about who the vice president of the United States is or any other significant uh, need to know or good to know uh, issues related to how uh, things actually operate in a country, how a government works. Right. Uh, it, uh, it, it suggests a, a disconnect from from politics, a disconnection from from government, uh, a lack of understanding of how to advocate one's own interests and one's own causes. Which is, uh, when we think about the civic health of our nation, uh, that's that's pretty bad uh, if we don't know how to advocate for what we believe is good for us or our community. Uh, then we're subject to, to great manipulation. Uh, similarly, uh, the social awareness of our citizens is is declining over the past couple of decades. Empathy has been declining, mm-hmm. again, particularly among college-aged youth. Uh, uh, I, I like to give the example of if uh, if I'm walking down the street and I see a, a homeless individual uh, with a sign uh, asking for food, asking for money, uh, fewer and fewer of us as Americans, particularly among college-aged youth, are going to stop and help that person uh, with some food or some money, uh, at least because they feel uh, they do not feel uh, sympathy. They don't feel like they can see themselves in that person's shoes at some point in their life. Uh, they have no connection to that uh, to that deprivation. Uh, to the extent that someone might stop and offer an assistance to that homeless individual, it will be because of uh, of a guilt. Uh, they'll help because if they don't, 
they'll feel guilty. It's a personal distress empathy, and that's the one form of empathy that has actually not been declining over the past couple of decades. Uh, and then, of course, we know the data on economics uh, and, and uh, financial security, particularly in, in, in uh, uh, the years following the recession here in the U.S. and, and outside of the U.S., uh, so overall, our social connectedness is down, our political intelligence, our ability to uh, advocate for our own interests is, is covering. Uh, we don't feel like from an empathy perspective to each other, uh, and, uh, and we're, we're not, uh, we're not uh, becoming the self-sufficient consumers that would be desirable from a societal perspective and a capitalist perspective as well. Uh, so on all counts, uh, we've got some challenges. And, and uh, what I argue is that higher education institutions can uh, fire on all uh, on all cylinders and, and uh, in an integrated way uh, make a difference on, on all of those measures. Absolutely. And um, I, I believe in your in, in your following chapter, you you kind of talk about sort of the the uh, initial historical conceptual development of the university and sort of what that meant uh, and sort of how we got to where we're at today. Uh, and, and really, uh, you know, the question is, were, were universities uh, supposed to be cultivators of, of citizens uh, as, you, as you lay it out? Uh, um, can you kind of talk about uh, that chapter a little bit? Absolutely. And then this was actually one of the more interesting chapters for me to, to research and, and to write. And, and uh, I hope it's as enjoyable to, to read as it was to to write. Uh, what I do in the chapter is present a, um, uh, a, a history, a broad, some, somewhat of a broad brush history on, on how higher education has developed, dating from uh, antiquity to uh, very much 2013, 2014. Uh, and, uh, and I, I would actually uh, recommend a, a book that I cite in the chapter as another excellent book to read for anybody who's interested in this uh, subject, uh, Christopher Loss's 2012 book, uh, Beyond uh, this, uh, sorry, not Beyond, Between the Citizen and the State, uh, just a really nice uh, history of, of how universities uh, have uh, stood between the people, masses, the citizenry, and state institutions uh, across our history. Uh, it's really a very interesting read. But what I do in the chapter is uh, suggest how that history from antiquity to today uh, has played within these four narratives of higher education. How has uh, university, uh, how have university institutions set up to cultivate citizenship? Uh, for instance, on the question of citizenship cultivation, we can look at uh, the, the, the history of developing not citizens as active ethical citizens to advocate for interests, as I would like to talk about mostly today, but uh, preparing citizen soldiers uh, to, to help secure the state. Uh, uh, or uh, in the early years of the U.S., higher education institutions, the very first universities, the Harvards and so on, uh, set up to uh, not promote citizenship from a national perspective to help preserve uh, the, the faith element of the country and to uh, develop leaders for uh, uh, continuing the, uh, the work of, of the, the church uh, and send your religious institutions uh, uh, in the years uh, to follow. Uh, it 
was really, uh, uh, it's really an interesting history as we go from, from there to the Civil War period in U.S. history and onward to uh, what Christopher Lost described as a rights-based citizenship uh, era of higher education, which really start to uh, see us uh, identify individuals and individual identity as something worth cultivating. Uh, that's uh, it's the job of universities to promote uh, uh, to promote uh, uh, individualism, to promote individual identity. With that individual identity, each individual identity, I should say, uh, 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 contributing to the, uh, the betterment of, of the whole of, of society. Uh, uh, but overall, whether the, the purpose of citizenship is to fight in a war as a soldier or to uh, develop religious institutions or to develop uh, personal identity or to contribute as volunteers in community, uh, the narrative of citizenship is the same, that citizens or the, the universities have a role to help create citizens who can give back to the state, can give back to society. Uh, and whatever, whatever form citizenship takes, that's been a, a, a continual uh thread or stream across our uh, world history uh, in, in many ways. Um, but then we can look at the other histories uh, of uh, how universities have sought to uh, develop knowledge, how universities have sought to disseminate knowledge that, that has been created by, uh, by professors and by students and by staff at universities. Uh, and, uh, and the question here becomes knowledge for what purpose is important. And this is an answer that has shifted over time. Mm-hmm. Uh, today, the dominant answer, the predominant answer is knowledge is important only to the extent that it contributes to the building or development of our countries, to build jobs, to create jobs, uh, to serve as an economic engine. Mm-hmm. Uh, if the knowledge is not being produced for that purpose, then some have questioned the legitimacy of that knowledge. For instance, I cite in the book, and I, I, in fact, I close the book with an extended quote from uh, William Shakespeare. There are a pair of consultants uh, here in Florida uh, who submitted a report to uh, the governor's task force on higher education reform uh, asking uh, a question uh, and citing a statistic that in the past, uh, I forget the time period, 50 years or something, there have been 35,000 scholarly publications about Shakespeare or the works of William Shakespeare. And they ask uh, in their report and their in their recommendation to the governor's task force, well, why do we need 35,000 publications about Shakespeare or the works of Shakespeare? Wouldn't the first 1,000 have been enough? Uh, and... Uh, uh, my response to that, that is, of course not. That's, it's, that's, that's missing the point of, of why these works are valuable. Uh, they argue the point that these consultants by saying, well, they don't really contribute to jobs. They don't help build skills for the workforce of today or the workforce of tomorrow. Uh, and so we really have, have to shift the funding within our universities towards the disciplines and the knowledge creation and the knowledge dissemination that is more economically driven and away from these uh, liberal arts ideas. Um, but uh, that, that, of course, is a tension. And uh, what I suggest overall in the book as a major theme is that it's a tension that need not exist, uh, that we can promote the economics as well as the uh, the, uh, the more philosophical and the artistic and, and so forth and so on, uh, in a way that contributes to both job creation and citizen development and uh, skill development and, and so on. Uh, so overall in the chapter... Oh, yeah, go ahead. Uh, 
you know, overall in the chapter, it, it, I, I uh, present a uh, uh, broad brush history on, on how universities have developed across these four narratives of higher education. Uh, I suggest some uh, what I call ideal types, uh, how these uh, universities would function if they focus singularly in these on uh, one of these narratives at the expense of the others, uh, and ultimately drawn to a conclusion that the, the smartest university, the most strategically placed and uh, managed university, will be one that integrates rather than treats any one narrative as as an, as a as a, an ideal type or as a singular uh, uh, mission. Right. Right. And um, speaking of, you know, you're, you're talking about the, these consultants who said, you know, the Shakespeare story. I mean, you also use uh, a quote from uh, Tom Coburn of my my home state, uh, Oklahoma, and he says, you know, why are we funding any research that doesn't directly relate to uh, economic advancement or national defense uh, of the country? And so, you know, these ideas are pervasive. It's not just consultants. These are, you know, the people who are in, in charge of our country and, and and uh, so, you know, uh, I, I hope, you know, maybe someone like a Coburn reads this and, and uh, uh, can get a different idea, perhaps. Uh, so let's go into uh, your... Yeah, and that's, that's certainly... Uh... Oh, go ahead. Please, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, uh, we can, you know, go into your, uh, your next chapter that really sort of talks about uh, the ways that a university can, uh, the, the next section of your book really talks about the ways that universities can uh, cultivate uh, this civic engagement and interconnectedness. And if you want to talk about sort of your conceptualization of the uh, C demos uh, or C demos, uh, which uh, stands for uh-huh. Student Empower- Empowered Education. Uh, and uh, democratizing education for members of society. So you know, I know that's a, a quite a big acronym, but if you can let us know what that is and sort of what that means and, and why that's important. Absolutely, and so uh, you know, so this is uh, this is where the book ultimately started. Actually, uh, back uh, maybe a couple of years ago, I was set of. Uh, uh, dinner party or something with some friends, and then we were chatting about some ideas, and, and so I, I wrote on the, uh, I, I guess the uh, uh, the infamous napkin, uh, the actor of Cetios, and, uh, and and all great books start on napkins, I suppose, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, so this is this is this uh, is where it started. I, I wrote down this acronym Cetios. Uh, student-empowered education and uh, democratizing education for members of society as sort of the core twin values for how higher education should approach its role in community. Uh, and uh, and I, I define the acronym as sort of a dual-purpose acronym. Uh, so on one hand, it, 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 uh, we've already spelled it out a couple of times, uh, but uh, the, the words themselves uh, have a meaning on, on their own. To see, S-E-E, is... is uh, it's clear enough uh, that, that we need to, uh, as a university, uh, see beyond our traditional boundaries as institutions uh, to think more broadly about the community around us and the, the people in the communities around us. Uh, and uh, Demos uh, is, uh, is uh, the best. It's the people. Uh, and, and so ultimately what I'm trying to communicate just with the acronym itself, that we need to see the people uh, in our communities, in our society, 
not as our customers. I don't want to use the, the market uh, or uh, market uh, language here, but they are our responsibility. Uh, they are our obligation uh, as, as uh, institutions of higher education. Uh, the, the, and, uh, and so breaking the acronym down onto the two different pieces, the C, Students Empowered Education, I describe uh, different approaches to uh, uh, empowering students, uh, to uh, give students some control over not only their educational experience, but also empowering students to feel uh, to feel the responsibility and to feel the reward of giving back to the community through their studies, through their educational process. Uh, uh, and so I talked some about uh, the idea of service learning and, and the idea of uh, living learning communities on uh, university campuses and residence halls uh, as uh, initiatives to uh, to invest in students that, again, that felt responsibility, that felt obligation, that they are not in university just for themselves. They are not in university just to get a bigger paycheck at the end of four years, five years, six years, or whatever the case may be. Uh, that they are in university in order to uh, help uh, develop their own uh, sets of values and their own skills so that they can help others achieve uh, similar aims and they can help lift up uh, uh, communities uh, around them, not only within their university region, but around the world. Uh, that's, that's the intent there uh, through empowerment of students. And on the side of democratizing education for members of uh, society, uh, the uh, the issue here is uh, is uh, to include the uh, university uh, excuse me to include uh, the broader community in uh, in research activity and, and teaching activity and service activity. Uh, I'll give an, uh, an example, uh, and uh, I think I may talk about the example at more length in a later chapter. But uh, within the Center for Public and Nonprofit Management, we host an AmeriCorps VISTA project. Uh, VISTA is Volunteers in Service to America. And uh, it's a program of the Corporation for National Community Service, a federal government agency. Uh, the, uh, the idea of VISTA is that individuals, individual citizens, will give a year of their life to full-time volunteer service. Uh, while they're serving uh, in that year, they're forbidden from any external employment. They make a modest living allowance, uh, just to, just very slightly poverty level. The idea is that while they're serving those in poverty through their volunteerism, they are actually living in poverty themselves. Uh, and uh, as a university, as a center for public and nonprofit management, we see it as our obligation to host this VISTA project uh, to, uh, to uh, help uh, push our expertise and our knowledge about, uh, in this case, uh, a nonprofit and government capacity building issues into the community uh, to uh, change the lives of people within the community. Uh, uh, our VISTA project is focused on K-12 uh, student uh, education, homeless student education. Uh, within the Central Florida region, we have about 15,000 uh, homeless students. In, the, in our local school districts. Uh, that represents about 3% of the overall student population uh, here in Central Florida school districts. 
we see it as our obligation to give back to the community uh, through our research, through our teaching, through our service activity. Uh, this is a grant. So universities don't often like to see grants and projects that are unfunded, particularly that take up a lot of time on staff and professors. Uh, but UCF, I think, is very unique in this regard, and I celebrate my institution for this. Uh, this we consider this grant a, a, a service grant. Uh, we are getting a little bit of money from the Corporation for National Community Service, but not enough to cover all of our, our expenses and costs associated with it. Uh, so this is really a service grant, a, a responsibility grant, I would say, uh, to give back. Uh, and the last example that I think I would give from this chapter that I think is uh, interesting is uh, uh, I include a, a very short uh, essay from one of our, our students at the university, Alice Nira, uh, who I think exemplifies the kind of student that we want to cultivate uh, through our higher ed institutions. Uh, she's not one of my students, actually. Uh, she's in the political science uh, and education programs at the university. Uh, but she has uh, uh, successfully navigated across units of the university, engaged professors from multiple units of the university uh, to uh, propel her passion, which is uh, to uh, educate not only UCF students, but the broader community about homelessness and hunger uh, within Central Florida and around the world. Uh, and so she has been organizing an annual hunger banquet at the university that uh, again, successfully engages students, professors, staff, and outside community members uh, so that uh, everyone can become more knowledgeable uh, about the privileges that most of us at the university enjoy, as well as the, uh, the scarcity that exists uh, not far outside of our university walls and, and, uh, and then, of course, uh, beyond the walls of the university uh, around the globe. Uh, so what I, what I emphasize in this chapter is the need for empowered education, the need for empowering students, uh, and the need for seeing clearly outside of our borders uh, and, and uh, lifting up uh, uh, and educating and empowering uh, community members, uh, uh, even those who are not tuition-paying students. Absolutely. And uh, you, you, you basically talked uh, quite a bit about you know, connecting the two chapters, but, but the next chapter really uh, gives people the uh, pedagogy to understand sort of what you're, uh, you know, what you're trying to argue in the book. At, and, and, and you kind of talked about that a little bit. Uh, if you want, sort of maybe uh, kind of talk a little bit about sort of the, just the idea of service learning as, as an important step uh, in, in this process, if you can. Absolutely. And service learning is, is not a new idea. Uh, it's, it's sometimes not uh, implemented in a way that's uh, uh, beneficial for all parties involved. Uh, and that's what I try to respond to in, in this chapter. Uh, sometimes service learning is treated as uh, purely instrumental act where students apply a skill learned in a classroom to an organization or a need in the community, uh, but uh, oftentimes that's where the relationship ends. Uh, and so community organizations or community members may actually be harmed in the process, and the trust that's so vital between universities and communities uh, can suffer uh, if that's the extent of the relationship. Uh, what I define in the fifth chapter is what I call joined-up service learning, uh, service learning that brings together, in this case, through an extended uh, case uh, example, 
uh, the university and uh, a, a graduate level class at the university, specifically uh, a local Title One high school, and uh, uh, and then other community organizations that come together uh, with the shared goal of rebuilding an, a high school that is uh, going through a redevelopment to become a, a wraparound service uh, community school, uh, a, a school that is not limited to uh, 7 a.m. to 2 p.m. typical school day activities, but includes access to medical care, job training, and then referral services and other social services, not only for the students, but for the parents of the students at the school. And so uh, uh, this is a, a joined-up service learning model that uh, brought some of my students together with some high school students at this school, uh, engaged them in joint uh, learning activities, joint classroom activities, uh, and ultimately uh, a joint research activity, uh, collecting survey data, focus group data, uh, community observation and photographic data, uh, so that uh, we would ultimately develop some uh, very clear targeted and actionable recommendations for changing the school and changing the community around the school uh, to benefit not only the students, but the, uh, 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 but the, uh, the community uh, as a whole. Uh, and uh, I, I enjoy the case, I include the case in, in the book, uh, because it, it was really it was very powerful for me to, to teach that class and to go outside of my own boundaries and, and, and teaching and working with uh, high school students in a low-income community. It's something that I had not experienced before designing and teaching this uh, style of class. Uh, but it, it certainly paid dividends. We saw results in terms of the felt empowerment of the students, both on the graduate student university side as well as the high school side. Uh, and I, and I'm, I particularly enjoyed the, uh, a quote from uh, one of the high school students who wrote, unsolicited in a, a journal that I work, I, I had the, the students keep in the process. Uh, and if I can, I'll just read, read quickly the quote sure, uh, yeah. and, and that I, that I, uh, I cherish very much. I, I have the original handwritten uh, quote on a notebook paper framed and hanging on my office wall. Oh. It really inspired me to keep doing this sort of thing. Yeah, go, go ahead. Uh, but the student says, thank you for the opportunity to... Uh, she says, thank you for the opportunity to be part of the community school focus group process. Uh, I speak uh, on behalf of Evans High students when I say we appreciate your efforts to try to make our school not feel like a school, but a home. And for that, we are grateful. Uh, we know that you do not have to do these things for us. Uh, most people do not know us and do not know how great we can be in the things we can do or our talents and hopes and dreams that we hold. Uh, they don't know that we go through uh, what we go through and the pain and struggles that we deal with. Uh, Evan is my home. I walk these halls and I see my brothers and sisters fall. They fall into the temptations and cruelty of this world. I see how great and stunning they are, things other people will never see. So on behalf of my family, I say thank you, UCF, thank you. Uh, and that's just, the, I think, just a case of one, an N of one that says this kind of work, this kind of student-empowered education uh, can can really change lives and, and make a difference uh, beyond the four walls of the traditional university. Absolutely, that's uh, a very uh, moving uh, sort of entry, and I'm sure when you, when you see that stuff, it kind of helps you uh, keep on doing uh, some of these things and, and moving forward on that. 
uh, I guess, you know, moving, moving forward, uh, for, uh, time's sake, uh, your, your next chapter kind of, uh, it's all connected obviously, but how can institutions really sustain these partnerships, uh, and really become, uh, ingrained in a community and, and what, what may, maybe have you guys been doing, uh, over there to do that? Absolutely. Uh, so the way I like to think about it within the Center for Profit Management in, in uh, both evaluating and assessing our work as well as choosing the projects that make the most strategic sense for us uh, is to align the projects along the four narratives that I've described. Uh, to what extent does the project, does the research, does the service, does the teaching develop citizens? Uh, to what extent does it create jobs? To what extent does it create or disseminate knowledge? And to extent does it train workers? And uh, in the chapter, I have a number of different examples. I won't go into detail on any of them. <clears throat> Excuse me. I've already talked about the AmeriCorps Vista project as one primary example. Uh, we also host the school bus program out of our center that, that uh, builds capacity of local communities to encourage uh, American school students and their families to walk to school uh, within a tomb already. This is their asset on car lot uh, to get to school. Uh, uh, and I provide some other examples as well. But ultimately, what I uh, what I look for in this chapter and what I uh, try to describe in this chapter is uh, our set of criteria for how to choose uh, projects and how to evaluate projects <coughs> uh, using these, uh, these four narratives. Uh, and uh, above all, in order to sustain these kinds of initiatives institutionally, uh, and I may be bleeding in this conversation to other types of other, other chapters, and if I am, uh, I apologize, but uh, uh, it, what's most important is developing uh, first a trust relationship between university and community, uh, and that takes time and takes patience and a lot of frustration sometimes, uh, but it also takes a very strong culture up and down the hierarchy within the university uh, that, again, is not too singularly focused on any one mission uh, or any one silo of the university. Uh, if we want to, if we truly want to strengthen communities, change lives, uh, which is the, the slogan for the College of Public Affairs at the University of Central Florida. Uh, if we truly want to strengthen communities and change lives, then uh, then we need to we need to integrate. Uh, we need leadership to to, to use the, the language of integration and, and uh, the language that is again uh, beyond job career market mechanisms uh, in the management and uh, strategic direction for the institution. Mm, absolutely. If, if we could, I, I know uh, we have a couple minutes left uh, on, on podcast, but um, you know, you, you talk about uh, in the seventh chapter titled a new model for higher education. Uh, you talk about performance funding uh, for universities and sort of how they uh, are you know, funded by the state and there's like a formula and we, we actually did a podcast uh, on this uh, a book in the past but you kind of lay out sort of what your ideal uh, funding model would be can you maybe talk a little bit about that and what you know what we should be placing importance on absolutely well, performance funding is so vital uh, as uh, if taken to to its full implementation it can change the the entire uh, image and, and direction of, of a university, uh, and sometimes not for the better. Uh, so, for instance, at the universities in Florida right now, we have performance funding, not for a substantial part of the budget, uh, but for some, 
tied to the average salary of alumni, uh, for instance, as, as one measure. Uh, and, and that's okay as, a, as an important measure, but again, that's a, it's a market measure, it's an economic measure, it's a job creation measure that is uh, not all-inclusive of the various missions of the university, the integrated mission of the university. And so what I propose uh, uh, in, in the chapter are a set of uh, potential indicators and measures for uh, how we can tie budgets to uh, what, uh, what we want to achieve in the university. So on the job creation side, I don't ignore that. I, I say that's still important. Uh, uh, the title of the book is Beyond Job Creation. It's not instead of job creation. Job creation is still very, very important for universities. Uh, but uh, I propose indicators that, uh, that are more inclusive. Uh, for instance, uh, uh, not only looking at average uh, alumni salary, we can look at uh, the percentage of alumni in public service careers. Uh, including nonprofit and government service uh, careers, uh, because typically those salaries are, are lower uh, in, in social service arenas and in and nonprofit and, and government work than in the private sector. Uh, and we should not penalize institutions for graduating students who have a, a, a passion and a commitment to serving the public in lower wage professions. Mm, right. Uh, so we need to be more inclusive uh, in, in those issues. Uh, another example, the percentage uh, of, uh, uh, of new businesses or nonprofit organizations that are created by students. So again, not penalizing students who choose the, uh, the, the tough work of, of starting a non-government organization that is going to wallow in, uh, uh, in, the, uh, in obscurity for uh, many, many years potentially. Uh, uh, and certainly where the founder might make uh, a very modest salary driven more by passion. We have to recognize universities that uh, uh, develop students who will lead those social enterprises, those nonprofit organizations, as well as those who create uh, very profitable potential future Fortune 500 companies. Uh, uh, I suggest other measures for skill development uh, and economic self-sufficiency of students uh, uh, that are important, and I won't go into detail on those, but again, that's capturing the, 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 the other narrative of higher education. Uh, and then on the citizen cultivation, we ought to reward universities that have uh, that uh, produce students, that produce alumni uh, who are strong, active, ethical citizens, alumni who volunteer in the community, alumni who contribute a significant portion of their discretionary income to charity, uh, uh, alumni who, uh, who are active voters in federal and, and local elections. Uh, and alumni who uh, work within their community to change the community. All of these are, are vital aspects of the university, and, and uh, any institution that graduates students who do not do these things, uh, I think is failing as an institution. So we need, to, we need to measure what we're doing there, how well we're doing it, and reward uh, those institutions that are creating good, strong, ethical, active citizens. Uh, so that's the overall gist of, of the uh, performance funding. It's more robust, it's not singularly focused, it's integrative, and uh, is, is not biased in uh, uh, setting an agenda that is much more driven by uh, the economics of the job market today. All right. Uh, yeah, that's, that's great. And, and if any listeners out there are interested in perhaps uh, checking out his recommendations, definitely uh, you're, you're going to want to read that, the book and that chapter specifically. So kind of wrapping up, uh, you titled the last chapter, 
uh, Band of Brothers. Uh, why did you decide to, to name it that? And uh, any final final thoughts on, on the book project? Sure. Well, the, the title of the last chapter, Band of Brothers, is, is uh, taken from uh, Shakespeare's play, Henry V. And uh, it's, it's my last jab at those consultants who proposed uh, 1,000 scholarly works about Shakespeare. Shakespeare's works was more than sufficient, and the rest are meaningless as they don't uh, contribute to job creation. Uh, and uh, so this is the last uh, final work in the last chapter is extended the quote from Henry V. Uh, uh, chapter from, from Henry V, from King Henry V, uh, really sums up the passion of what I think is necessary for, for uh, transformation of uh, reform. Um, All right. And, uh, and in that passion that uh, we can't do this uh, individually, we can't do this work in silos, uh, it, has to be, uh, it has to be something that uh, brings all sides together. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean that that's uh, a, a very uh, a nice stamp on. I know we're, we're we're kind of pressed for time a bit. Uh, it, so so if you can just maybe uh, briefly mention, you know, what's next for you? Uh, what's next for uh, Dr. Breyer? Absolutely. Well, I'm uh, I'm very excited to continue to work in the Center for Public and Nonprofit Management and. Uh, uh, as I said at the beginning of the interview here, uh, as a center, we are expanding some of our uh, work uh, into the global arena, uh, uh, working in, in Eastern Europe, uh, some of the emerging EU nations where they're just developing some of their bureaucracies and thinking about the same issues of higher education governance as we are. Uh, and so uh, so we're looking uh, more broadly in, in that regard. Uh, but of course, uh, the work that, that I describe in the, in the book and the philosophy that I as a professor in the U.S. and globally, uh, that's, uh, we always look beyond job creation. Uh, we must always look to uh, the integrated path for higher education because that's the only way that we can truly change the communities around us, which is, in my view, a pivotal mission of uh, universities and institutions of higher education. All right. Great, great. So we'll be looking forward to some of that research and, and maybe uh, future publications uh, from there. Uh, so to all the uh, New Books in Education listeners uh, on the New Books Network, uh, thank you for listening. Uh, go and check out the book from Dr. Thomas Breyer, Higher Education Beyond Job Creation, Universities, Citizenship, and Community. And that's from Lexington Books. And uh, Thank you, uh, uh, Dr. Breyer, and uh, I hope you guys learned something. Thank you.